Well, we've been uh, spending some time on a prayer series, and next Sunday will be our last Sunday in the prayer series. And then we're going to preach a standalone sermon, and then we're going to go into the book of Jonah, the minor prophet Jonah, which I'm excited about. But for the last few weeks, we've been looking specifically at the Lord's Prayer. Callie and I were kidless for a few hours last week, so we did what any married couple who has been married for 19 years last Tuesday would do. We ordered some food and we watched Nightline. We were really excited. We watched what could be described as a true crime docuseries called The Con. This particular one was about a man who became a pastor at a church in Georgia. It was a small congregation and he began to garner their respect and earn their trust. After some time, he gathered a small group of people and one by one he told them that he could invest their retirement money and build interest and after some time, he would give them their nest egg in return triple fold. This was millions of dollars to begin with. In the fall of 2008, the Great, the great Recession took place as he was making their quote-unquote investments. He continued to assure them that their money was safe and even after all the loss in the stock market, they were still going to come out on top. Over time, communication weakened and the pastor began to grow more and more shady as he dodged phone calls and meetings with his investors. Finally, he vanished without a trace and with all of their money. When he was finally captured and brought to justice, he wrote a 22-page confession letter and took ownership for what he had done. Over and over in the letter, the disgraced pastor asked for those he had scammed to forgive him. He even wrote them each personally many letters and asked for their forgiveness. One lady, I remember, read a letter aloud and exclaimed, he can keep asking, but I'll never forgive him. The one that stuck with me was an older lady who actually ended up losing her house and most of her possessions and ended up living in her car because of the scam. She read what he wrote and she responded, I've forgiven him. After all, it's just money. This story holds the tension for us today as we look at petitions four and five in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread and forgiveness. Someone, this pastor, who caused so much damage, willfully stole from his parishioners after earning their trust and had nothing to give them but his regret. Those affected desired to accrue for themselves, for themselves more than they already had with a surefire scheme and their story ends with heartbreak and loss. And the question out in front of them is, will you forgive? These questions are posed to us to, today too. Will you be, be dependent on God for what you need today? And in light of his forgiveness extended to you, will you forgive too? So let's look at petition four. Uh, give, us, give us this day our daily bread in Matthew chapter six in the Lord's Prayer. The last three peti petitions we looked at 
our heavenly Father's name being hallowed, his kingdom coming, and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven, fit under the category of God's glory. Remember, we have two categories in the Lord's Prayer, God's glory and our good. Today, we move into the second category of our good. His glory, listen church, His glory must come before our good. In fact, the reason we get any good is because of His glory. Romans chapter 8 in the New Testament is built to help us see to see this, excuse me, specifically verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who love God and are called according to His purposes. His glory is ultimately our good. Look at me, church. His glory is ultimately our good. So let's look at petition four. I want to look at each word and give us today our daily bread. Look at the first word, give. This is not a greedy gimme, but is a give seen in light of whatsoever comes to pass is from my Father's hand and for my good. It is us living open-handed and being confident in the fact that the Father gives good things, according to James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above. The second word, us. This again is a corporate prayer. This is not just about my wants and my desires or even just my needs. We are the body, and the body cares for other members of itself. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you read the whole chapter, Paul speaks of the unity in the body. We're supposed to be unified as a church body. Our prayer being, Lord, unify us and help us to care for, another, for one another with urgency and love. With one word. The Lord Jesus reminds us of the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the law is given to the people of Israel. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your everythingness and love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord Jesus reminds us of, of this with one word. The next two words, this day, give us this day. Translated in the New Testament Greek, this phrase is actually, give us tomorrow's bread today. Give us tomorrow's bread today. And that seems like a greedy prayer at first. But in actuality, it is Jesus saying that we need to be reminded that we get what we need on a daily basis and we trust God for our, with our tomorrows. That's what that prayer means. That just those two words, this day. We trust God with what we're getting now, today. The very, and I, I try to remind us of this often because I try to remind myself of this. The very fact that you are breathing air is because God Almighty says so. He tells your heart when to start beating and he tells it when to stop. This day, we trust Him for what we need today. 
Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 6, down just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. The Lord Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, will you, put, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day in its own trouble. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, anxiety is living out the future before it gets here. How many of you just need to hear one sermon on anxiety? I'm raising my hand. I, I should probably at some point have Rusty preach a sermon on anxiety so I can listen. We need to hear over and over. Did you hear how many times just in that small text that Jesus says, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. If I care for the birds, if I care for the lilies of the field, how much more am I going to care for you? This day. A daily dependency builds wisdom and trust in the people of God on our Heavenly Father. That is, listen church, that is the definition of prayer. Our daily bread, let's move on, our daily bread. The main word here being bread. Bread is weaved all throughout the Old and the New Testaments. It was a main part of the meal in ancient Israel. It fell from heaven and Exodus in the form of manna, and it was used as temptation to a fasting Christ in the wilderness. And Jesus himself says, his own body is the bread that is broken for his people at the Last Supper. Those are just a few pictures of what bread is in the Bible. In this prayer, it is, of course, pointing us to Christ being the bread of life that sustains His people for eternity. But it is also reminding us that we need sustenance throughout the day. We are dependent on God the Father for both, for our everyday needs and for our salvation. Did you hear that? Look at me, church. You are dependent on God for everything you have today and your salvation. Let me admonish us for just a moment. This is pastoral admonishment. We can't skip past one main thing this petition helps us see, contentment. Now, let me tell you this. I like shoes, I'll tell you. 
I like shoes. I grew up, all my friends had Jordans and I, I had Fordans, okay? Uh, you got those at Kmart, okay? And so when I got married and I felt like we actually had a little bit of money, I would save some money up and I would buy some shoes. And I would get those shoes and I would wear them and people were like, oh, those are sweet, man, those are cool, you know, or whatever. And then a few months go by and guess what, else, guess what I was looking at on the internet? New shoes. When will we be content? When will we be content with what we have? And I'm speaking specifically to Americans in this place in the West. We have storage buildings to store our stuff that we never look at. All the stuff that you want right now is stuff of future garage sales, is it not? And I know that because we just had a garage sale. And in it was like, I, can't, I remember I couldn't live without this ab roller. Obviously, I didn't use it. Proverbs chapter 30 in the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what is said here. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let me ask you this question, church, before we move on to petition number five. What truly satisfies you? Is it that new pair of shoes? Is it that new truck you've been looking at? Is it the ab roller? Is it constantly scrolling through Instagram and seeing what the next person has that you need to have? Is it a nicer house? When will we be satisfied? What truly satisfies you. And let, let, me, let me focus us for just a minute. If it's not God, when will that thing make you content? If it's not God who satisfy you, when will that next thing make you content? Let's move on to petition number five. Talk about forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. With God meeting all of our daily needs and His people being completely reliant on Him, we turn to a topic that Petition 5 forces us to confront is forgiveness and unforgiveness. Here in Matthew chapter 6, debts could also be trespasses, as mentioned later in chapter 6, or also sins, as Luke 11.4 says. These words are interchangeable with each other. So, if we are forgiven our debts, our trespasses, our sins by God, we must also forgive those who sin, trespass, incur relational debt against us. Remember, His glory are good. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 18. 
Matthew 18, I'm going to read a lengthy section, so I apologize for that, but I want you to hear this story. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should, should pay the debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's break this down a little bit. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. This is known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Peter begins with a question th that math-brained people like my wife, they love these, questions, these, these stories. How many times should I forgive, Peter says, seven times? Peter doesn't even let Jesus respond, but instead, instead adds his own righteousness into it because seven times is a completed number in the Bible, it's a whole number. Jesus responds with an actual number, 77 times, or 70 times 7. And this is not 490 times, but it's Jesus saying that forgiveness is a way of life for the follower of Christ. So let's, three, let's think about this parable that Jesus uh, is sharing here with the disciples. Let's think about it in three acts. So this is act number one. Pay close attention to a few details in this parable. Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. This would have been people who were close to him, who were his uh, like regional directors basically. He would give them money and he, he was ready to settle accounts with them. A servant is brought to him who owes him, in New Testament Greek, a myriad of talents. Okay? And biblical scholars have tried to do the math on this, and basically what it comes down to is like a billion, trillion, zillion dollars. It's a lot of money. He had incurred a lot of debt. And verse 27 is key. When he, when after he, this, this man says, I can't pay, and he, he falls down on his knees and begs him, verse 27, 
says, out of pity for him. The Legacy Standard Translation says, and feeling compassion, he was moved with compassion. He forgives the servant of the billion-dollar debt. Could you imagine being forgiven your house loan, your car loans? I mean, you'd be like, let's go shopping, right? Could you imagine being forgiven all the debt that you have, much less a billion-dollar debt like this? Then we get to act two. This same forgiven servant goes out, and it seems like he's on a mission to find one of the servants who owes him a debt of about 100 days of wages. This is a big amount of money. But it's nothing close to a billion dollars. It's like comparing a molehill to Mount Everest. The same scenario plays out with the servant begging for mercy, but this time the forgiven servant is not compassionate, and he makes the indebted servant pay with time served. The Bible says he actually chokes the servant, and he says, you owe me money. The servant can't pay, so he sends him to jail. Then we get to act three. And in verse 31, we see where his fellow servants saw what took place. Now here's a question for us as we look at this. Were these fellow servants forgiven too? Is Jesus helping us see that this is what the body of Christ does? Now remember, in context, we got to look at Matthew 18 as the whole chapter. This is the discipline chapter. This is what happens when a brother or sister goes and sins and lives in unrepentance. This is how you call them back. It says, the servants saw what took place, and they were grieved. So they went to tell their master what had happened, what they had seen. They were greatly distressed. The forgiven servant is summoned again and is thrown in jail by the king. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you a billion dollar debt and you couldn't forgive a measly amount. Look at verse 35. Would you throw that back up there, Kyle? Of Matthew 18. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's sit here for just a minute, okay? Verse 35 makes us uncomfortable, so let's look at it. Does this mean that God goes back on His justification, His forgiveness of us if we don't forgive? Absolutely not. Here's what the question, here's the question that's posed to us. If we live in a state of unforgiveness, continuing to hold things against people who have wronged us, are you truly a Christian? Let that marinate for just a moment. Are you truly a believer if you continue to hold things against people? Author Marianne Williamson says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself 
and waiting for the other person to die. But Ricky, you don't know my situation. You don't know my story. And you don't know how I've been hurt and maligned and lied to and on and on we could go. Now let me say this, those are valid. And you are seen and heard here at Redeemer. Please know that. I am truly sorry for what you've experienced. But the way I love you as a pastor is to tell you the truth. Just because you forgive doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt, and it surely doesn't mean you become best friends with this person that you've forgiven. There is wisdom built into how you move forward after forgiving. But this is not merely therapeutic. It is a relational transaction to forgive. Now let me ask this question, this is where I want to land, land for us today. Do we understand what we have been forgiven of by God? Listen church, we are born dead in sin, according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. We are offensive to God. Our sin separates us from a holy, eternal creator. The only way to pay for sin is death. According to Romans chapter 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is what? Is death. You must pay. Sin is cosmic treason, and we must pay up. We have trespassed, we have sinned, and we owe a debt to God that no one could ever pay with enough good works. And then two words but God, who was rich in mercy, sent Jesus to pay the debt. How? His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his intercession for his people. This is the beauty of the gospel. When we understand, listen church, when we understand what we are forgiven of and at what cost we freely forgive. If you are in Christ, if you are here today and you consider yourself a Christian, God no longer holds your sins against you. He has forgiven you and continues to forgive when you come to Him and confess your sin. May this truth set us free. Listen. I racked my brain for an illustration, I watched videos, I read, I was like, man, I'm going to have them in the palm of my hand, and I'm like, they're going to be listening to me, and they're just, and I'm going to share this illustration, everybody's going to be crying and repenting of sin. And the Lord, it was almost like the Lord reminded me, like, Ricky, are you, do you want to make disciples, or do you want to leave, you want people to leave here thinking you're a great preacher? So I just want to encourage you with Ephesians 4.32, Chapin read it for us just a few minutes ago. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as what? Because you came to church enough? Because you got baptized? Because you dedicated your kids? Because you work in, in, in kids' GCs? Because you go to GC? 
because Christ forgave you. Does this say anything about anything you've done there? Absolutely not. It is all God. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven you. Church, as we move into this, these last few minutes, band, I'll go ahead and ask you to make your way up. We do this every week. I make an invitation. If you are here and you don't know if you're a Christian, you're like, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? You were like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Come and find the bread of life. Come and find forgiveness. How do you do that? You repent of your sin and you place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I had, just so you know, and I'm not trying to make you feel sorry for me, I filled that thing, that baptistry, three times and emptied it three times because we had leaks and it was super frustrating all week, but I would do it every week if people were coming to Christ and knowing Him as Savior. I would do it every week. I would struggle with that thing and fill it with water week after week after week for us to stir the waters of baptism. So my plea is to you, if you do not know Christ today, come and find life. Come and find forgiveness of your sins. For those of us in Christ, two questions. Are you satisfied by God? Are you satisfied by the world? And then the last question being, who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's someone in this room. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe it's someone at work. And here's what I want you to do. Ask yourself, as we worship in just a moment, ask yourself, am I content with the life God has given me? And who do I need to forgive? Can we freely forgive? God saw, listen, God saw nothing worth saving in you. He didn't look and be like, you know what, that dude might preach one day, so I'm going to go ahead and save him. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. He made me alive together with Christ. That's my story. That's your story. Church, I love you too much to not tell you the truth. That's my job. That's Rusty's job when he's up here preaching. That's, that's what we're tasked to do is to tell you the truth. It's the most loving thing we can do. Repent of your sin, put it to death, and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a daily occurrence. Let's pray.